Well, howdy, Hootie Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootie Thunker podcast, Zeb, coming at you. Episode 144, titled The USS Texas. Pretty simple little episode, one to do. Not very long. But before we get into that, before we talk about the USS Texas, let's do that recommendation segment where I recommend you check something out that I've enjoyed personally. Uh, this week, I recommend you watch Vox Machina on Amazon Prime. That's V-O-X space M-A-C-H-I-N-A. Vox Machina was a creation of a group, a real real world group of people call that, who called themselves call themselves Critical Role, R-O-L-E. That's, um, and I didn't know this. I watched the show, finished it, and then I figured it out when I started typing up this recommendation segment. Um, I thought it was just a show, just a regular old show. It's different. Uh, no, it was created by Critical Role. It's a band of professional voice actors, really good. They improvise, they role play, and uh, they roll their way through a Dungeons and Dragons type campaign, which is like a role playing tabletop game. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Dungeons and Dragons. Basically, you know, you play a game, but it's a lot of imagination. And they're voice actors, so it sounds great. And they're used to, um, they, you know, they're professional voice actors. They can use different inflections. It's a lot more exciting. Well, I guess the voice actors, they play a divorce, <laughs> diverse cast of characters who go on adventures within the kingdom. And they stream their D&D gameplay on the internet. And then they try to sell merch to make money off of it. it sounds amazing. Now that I've finished the show, I'm going to go try and find those streams because it, it sounds fun. I like D&D stuff. Um, I never played it myself, but I, I watched like Harmon Quest where a similar idea, actors and comedians, whatever. They play D&D and it's either animated or it's just sounds really fun to watch. Critical Role's first campaign was Vox Machina, the legend of Vox Machina. <clears throat> and that's basically they play a band of eight unlikely heroes. They're like... Um, what do you call them? Mercenaries. They find themselves on a quest to save the realm of Exandria from dark magical forces. There was a Kickstarter request on for this stream that they were going to be like, hey, why don't we do an animated special? Um, they put up a Kickstarter request fans to give them money for a simple 22-minute episode just to see what would happen. Fans donated an insane amount of money. I was watching a YouTube video of a guy explaining how this show came to be. They were asking for like a couple hundred thousand, which is a lot of money. They, you know, it's a Kickstarter. They didn't think it was going to get funding from a studio or whatever. They raised over $11 million. That's insane. <laughs> that is insane. So an entire animated season was created, a series, and it's now on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime's like, hey, if you can raise that kind of money, Daddy Bezos is like, I'll scoop that up. You nerds will love this show. Why not? You don't need to know anything about Critical Role or Dungeons and Dragons or any of that. Because I really didn't, and I love the show. Like I said, I didn't even know about the backstory of it when I watched the show. I just thought it was a cool story. I like animated stuff. It's American animation, so it's not anime. It's not made in Japan. And it is for adults. You know, they curse. There's, you know, violence and stuff like that. So I, I really enjoyed it. And so did Shannon, which was not a I wouldn't say a surprise. She likes good content, no matter where it's from. But she's not really into animated stuff. She's not really into fantasy genre stuff like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that being said, she loves Lord of the Rings. And she likes, if it's a good story, she likes it. But I was just, you know, it, it gets a little, in my book, it gets a little extra ribbon that Shannon also likes this animated nerdy thing that I like, which 
made me want to recommend it to you guys. I recommend nerdy stuff that, like, me and very, it's very niche. But if Shannon likes it, I'm like, that's a good recommendation to put on the podcast. Because it, probably more people will enjoy it. It is a fun adult animated show with a bunch of main characters. They crack genuinely funny jokes and have funny moments. And the action is horrifyingly good. <clears throat> A lot of dark, like, vampire-type stuff, and, and the characters are awesome. My favorite is uh, Grog. He's the big, half-giant dude with a giant axe, if you watch it. And he talks like this, and he's not very smart. It's <laughs> pretty fun. And um, all kinds of different... Oh, I'd say a close second character is Scanlan. He's a little gnome bard who he sings all the time. He's like a sexual deviant. He's hilarious, and he's like the voice of the group. <laughs> so check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Now for the main event, the USS Texas. I want you, Hootathunkers, to imagine you're out at sea on a boat. Any boat will do, so whatever kind of boat your imagination conjured up, that's fine. Go with that. Now imagine your boat starts filling up with water. It's bad news, right? I mean, doesn't matter what kind of boat you're in. If it starts filling up with water, that's it's not a good thing. You want to bail it out. Well, yeah. Usually, when your boat starts filling up with water, that means you're sinking. There is a major exception to this rule. It's I'm, After looking up this podcast, I didn't know about this. Um, ballast water. It's fresh or salt water held in the ballast tanks and, and cargo holds of ships. It's used to provide stability and maneuverability during a voyage when ships are not carrying cargo, not carrying heavy enough cargo, or when more st stability is required due to rough seas. So sometimes big, big ships fill themselves with water to help with maneuverability and, and um, stuff like that and make themselves heavier. But for the most part, water in boat equals having a bad time. Well, there is one story from history that took this notion and flipped it on its head. The crazy sons of bitches of the USS Texas during World War II intentionally filled their vessel with water because it somehow helped them defeat the Nazis. Pretty cool. Let's get into it. The tale of the USS Texas BB-35. In 1910, two New York-class New York class battleships were authorized for construction. The winning bid for the USS Texas, the first of the two New York battleships, was 5830000 And I just did a quick Google search, what's that equal in today's money from 1910 to 2023? And it equals about $182 million in 2023 or 2023 uh, dollars according to a website that I googled on called in 2013 dollars.com <laughs> but that's a lot of money 182 million um, pretty cool 1910 the USS Texas first tasted the salty brine of sea on May 18th of 1912 so this is a long time ago this is over 110 years ago she was commissioned in March of 1914 as the most powerful weapon in the world the battleship she barely had time to get her sea legs. By May of 1914, she was sent to Mexico to aid in a situation going on down south. An American U-boat was being detained in Tampico. The USS Texas stayed in Mexico for a few months, assisting U.S. forces from offshore. Then, uh, a little skirmish broke out all around the world, uh, forever changing the face of battle for virtually every nation on Earth, World War I. While escorting the merchant ship Mongolia, the USS Texas batteries opened fire upon a surfaced German U-boat. It was the first American shot of World War One. I. I tried Googling that to, to like, I, I used one main source for the story of USS Texas, and I tried Googling what's the first shot of World War One for America, and it did not say that it was USS Texas, that it was some land artillery. So 
uh, put an asterisk on that. The first first shot of the American uh, for America in World War One, but one of the first shots of America for World War One. The German U-boat wasn't sunk, but its attack on the Mongolia was halted. So pretty cool. Got right in the battle, uh, right into battles in World War One, and it was one of the first shots fired in the world conflict. And um, it did not sink the U-boat, so maybe that's not why it's counted the first, you know shot to hit something but it did halt the the attack from the u-boat so the uss texas served the rest of world war one alongside britain's grand fleet she escorted convoys and mine layers across the atlantic pretty important i got some pretty cool pictures here of uh uss texas guys chilling out on the on the ship on the the ship's guns in between the war uh world war one and world war two the uss texas became the first american battleship to launch a plane from her bow in 1919 i didn't google that one but based on the whole first shot in World War One for the America, maybe first plane to la- to launch off of its bow. But pretty cool, one of the first. It, I just like how this the USS Texas, whether it's the first, second, third, whatever. It this ship has a ton of history, and that's the overall arc of this story. That even though it's not a person that served in all this time, it's a ship that saw a lot. It's seen a whole lot of history. For a short period of time, the USS Texas was the flagship of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. Uh, Then, just before World War II broke out, she returned to serve in the Atlantic. Before America joined the fight, the USS Texas would patrol in the name of neutrality, escorting convoys across the Atlantic Ocean. There was quite a lot of time in World War II where America wasn't involved in the fighting, but we sort of, like, low-key were helping out the Allies, helping out Britain and stuff. Um, So, yeah, that's what—and the USS Texas was involved in all that. Then World War II, we're, we're fully in it. The attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941, plunged the U.S. into World War II. At first, the U.S. Texas was tasked with escorting convoys to places like Panama, Sierra Leone, and the U.K. The Allied invasion of North Africa, Operation Torch, the Texas blared Lieutenant Colonel, or sorry, Lieutenant General Dwight D. Eisenhower's Voice of Freedom speech. It, its purpose was to reach the Vichy French puppet government, the government of France after the Germans took over and basically was just Nazi government in France to slow to not slow down the allied landings. Basically, hey, don't fight us on this. Uh, we know you're a public government, but here's our speech. And that's what the U.S. the U.S. Te- USS Texas was there for that. I just the, the amount of history this the ship has seen. The Texas fired 300 shells to support allied forces during Operation Torch. They thought that was a lot of shells until the next operation. Operation Overlord was the invasion of Normandy, D-Day, that big one in Saving Private Ryan, one of the biggest, largest military operations of all time. The Texas was with the Western Task Force, and on June 6, 1944, she took her position off Point de Hook. Uh, she began her ordered bombardment of the coast to support the 29th Infantry Division, the 2nd and 5th Ranger Battalions. You know, you know, usual battleship stuff, offshore, shooting guns, lots of 14-inch shells. It took the Texas only 34 minutes to fire 255 14-inch shells into the Point du (laughs) Hawk. 34 minutes to fire 255 14-inch round shells. Huge. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot. Boy, I can't even imagine the magnitude of chaos and power that was witnessed by those who were there that day. And, you know, for the the Operation Overlord. And from what I've heard from first-hand accounts, I, I don't want to know. A lot of people glorify World War II and, and the, the bravery shown and the heroism that was shown um, by the Allies and how a lot of movies about it. And 
I've come to notice younger people are just like, man, I wish I could be there. If you if you ever listen to any interviews with people who were involved in World War II, no, you don't. You don't want to be there. And I'm fascinated with World War II, but I, I try to remind myself of that. I didn't, I, I wouldn't want to be there. It seemed like hell. Anyway, moving on. Those 34 minute, minutes and 255 shells uh, were up. And so air support ra radioed down to the Texas, informing her that German reinforcements had arrived. Artillery batteries spotted and more strong points were farther inland. So the Texas adjusted accordingly. You know, get that intel. Okay, now we got to move the guns over here. As you may know, D-Day was a success for the Allies, though it was a hellish slugfest and today, to date one of the largest battle operations ever carried out. Allied forces did progress inland. As land forces moved farther inland, the need for naval support did too. The Texas moved closer to shore, originally stationed 12,000 yards offshore. She crept to about 3,000 yards offshore to proceed with her bombardments. And after days of providing support in the form of 14-inch shells delivered in high speed to Nazi bunkers and camps, the Texas had to rearm itself back in England. You know, need a break, need to rearm. By the time she returned off the coast of France, the Allied troops had pushed so far inland that the enemy targets were now out of reach of naval ships and their guns. While other ships gave up at this because of this fact, they, you know, radioed back to command, hey, we're not able to carry out our orders, we cannot shoot that far, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible. The Texas crew used their imagination. The Texas was determined to carry out their fire missions. The massive 14-inch guns on their bow didn't have the elevation capabilities required to reach designed Nazi targets, as did their fellow ships. They couldn't lob their shots far enough inland in the invading allies as the invading allies needed. They couldn't get far enough in, and if you can't get far enough in, you're not shooting far enough, then you're shooting your own guys. So a lot of the other ships are like, we're not, I mean, we, we can't, the, sh the guns don't go any higher than this. They're not invented that way. Technology hasn't reached that point. So they gave up. But the Texas was like, huh, eh, I'm going to do something a little different here. Now, I want you to think of a solution, Huda Thunker. Thunkers. I've given a few hints so far. You might be able to figure out what it is that the crew of the Texas did next in order to get their guns out there. If the guns facing port couldn't point any higher, then the starboard side of the ship would need to be lowered. The Texas deliberately flooded her starboard torpedo blister and tilted the USS Texas just a smidge back so that her front would be tilted upwards. It worked. The Texas's main batteries were raised two degrees enough, uh, excuse me, enough elevation to carry out their firing missions. They had overcome where their fellow battleships had seen uh, no way of doing so. Meanwhile, the Germans, who had been shelled into oblivion for days now, thought that they were finally in the clear. Their intel accurately told them that battleships, battleships of the time weren't capable of firing as far inland as they were currently positioned. They still had to deal with encroaching troops and land artillery, but at least they didn't have to worry about America's horrifying sea power anymore. Or so they thought. <laughs> Until the Texas literally crazily, like mind-bogglingly, flood itself with water so that it could tip just two more degrees and bombard them for just one more day. After another day, the inland troops pushed them even farther and they're out of range, but that's one more day that everyone was like, okay, they're so far inland, there's no way these ships can reach us and their and their bombardments can reach us. And the Texas is like, oh yeah? <laughs> I love that it's also the Texas, which if you're not American, Texas is kind of known as they're kind of crazy. <laughs> they're like their own thing. I like how the U.S. test Texas was like, Oh yeah, you think you're free and clear? Think again, you son of a bitch. And 
they flood themselves. We're able to shoot just two more degrees higher, lob their bombardments even farther. And I put a good quote here to, to sort of encapsulate that. The reason the American army does so well in wartime is that war is chaos and the American army practices it on a daily basis. It was from a post-World War II debriefing of a German general. And I know this story isn't about the army. Anybody in the military is like, hey, army, navy, two different things. I know that. But I thought it was a fitting story for a ship that deliberately filled part of itself with water just so, just so we can get one more day of, of firing shells inland <laughs> at the enemy. Necessity is the mother of invention, and the USS Texas was given a seemingly impossible task. Instead of giving up, they showed ingenuity and adapted to the situation. Today, the USS Texas is the last surviving dreadnought, as well as the only battleship in existence today that fought in both World War I and World War II. So keep that in mind. I thought instead of doing a biop of a person or a battle or whatever, I thought I'd do it on a ship today. Thought you'd enjoy, and hope you did enjoy, Huda Thunkers. <clears throat> Now, I always do give credit to my sources on my blog, um, so you, and the blog is all, always linked to the actual podcast in the description if you want to ever check that out. But whenever I use heavily one source, I like to give them a shout out. The website, uh, wearethemighty.com, um, their, their story on the USS Texas was relied upon heavily for this episode. So thanks for that information, even though some of your facts I double-checked and weren't accurate. The The story itself is accurate. I, I did check with a couple other minor sources to make sure overall the Texas was there. But all the claims of like, hey, it was the first shot in World War I for the America. No, that was some dude on land artillery. But anyway, um, the Texas was there from 1910 all the way on. Um, and I did also find an official battleshiptexas.org where down in Texas... They keep the Battleship Texas alive, and you can go check it out. It is land docked, but it's still there. And they refurbish it even recently as November of 2022. So that's pretty cool. But their website, kind of broken. I couldn't, <laughs> I could only read their little fact on when it was commission, constructed, commissioned, you know, launched. I, and I try to click on their timeline. I couldn't read any of the other pages. So, <laughs> so I, <laughs> that was interesting. But a cool story about a battleship, and I hope you enjoyed Huda Thunkers. Until next week.